G'day, welcome along to another sermon from Good News Christian Church in Howrah, Tasmania, Australia. I'm Bernard Kane, I'm the pastor. Get in touch sometime at goodnewschristianchurch.org or why not come by one Sunday morning. For now, here's the sermon. Uh, that's the passage to keep open in front of you, friends. The Luke chapter 16 one, I'll be, we'll be working through that today. Let me make some preliminary comments before we pray and get right into it. I'm really conscious that Luke chapter 16 is... It's a passage about wealth, all right? On the one hand, it's a passage about wealth and riches. It's a passage for the proud and the arrogant. I mean, we meet the the Pharisees in there who love money on the way through. It's for those with influence who are confident and all of that kind of thing. And and don't get me wrong, there are implications in in this for us, absolutely. Um, But I'm also acutely aware that we arrive at Luke 16 on this particular Sunday, at a moment in our national consciousness and our state consciousness when our ordinarily um, confident, affluent, wealthy society has faltered. Um, on Tuesday morning, and uh, we now know that that was only the tip of the iceberg, but anyway, on Tuesday morning, our Premier uh, spoke these words at a press conference, and perhaps you watched it live. Uh, Peter Gutwin's words were these. This was on Tuesday morning. He said, good morning. Yesterday, as in Monday, was a very difficult day, a hard day for many Tasmanians. Tens of thousands of Tasmanians lost their job yesterday. It is important that everyone understands that this is not a game, this is very serious, this is a matter of life and death. And a little bit later, in the same press conference, he said, I do want to say this to the tens of thousands of people yesterday who lost their jobs. It breaks my heart to have had to take the steps that we took yesterday. And to all of those, uh, all of you that have lost your jobs, I am so very, very sorry. And for those businesses that have been impacted. But to all other Tasmanians, don't let those sacrifices go. Let's make them mean something. And on he went. Friends, Jesus challenges, so Luke chapter 16, Jesus challenges a bunch of um, affluent, wealthy, their jobs weren't at risk, very secure feeling spiritual phonies, really, the Pharisees, uh, who lived in a world where what you earn or how much you have said a, a whole lot about who you are and how much you matter and on the flip side, uh, he also spoke to a world where how vulnerable you are and how uh, much help you need and whose mercy you depend on said a whole lot about how uh, little you matter and about how little you are as a person. And friends, this, this week in particular, don't we feel that we live in very much the same world as Jesus spoke to? I think there are a lot of people around us right now and perhaps some of us, as in us, uh, who are hurting and at least a small part of that hurt is connected to what's going on with our lives and our livelihood, uh, what we're doing with our lives. Does anyone even notice? Do, Do I even matter now today? Will I be okay tomorrow? All of those sorts of questions. So, brothers and sisters, will we let Jesus' words this morning, um, yes, confront us, but will we let Jesus' words this morning also comfort us today? And are there people under your roof, perhaps, who need to hear this right now? Family or friends or 
flatmates uh, who need to hear from Jesus that it was never their wealth or their influence that made them who they are, that decided their worth or their inheritance or who they are before God. And perhaps we need to hear it for ourselves. Um, In fact, I bet we do, one way or another. Shall we pray together and come to Luke chapter 16? Let's pray. Our Father God in heaven, we do pray uh, today for each of those tens of thousands of Tasmanians whose lives and livelihoods were dealt a heavy blow this past week. Father, we ask for your provision for them. We ask that you would catch them. And God, would you use the government, would you use their families and their friends, would you use your church and even our church, please, to help catch them? May your hands... Catch them, O God, as a father to them in the gospel of Jesus. But Father, we do pray for for something deeper for them too, and we pray the same for us this morning. May they and may we disentangle ourselves from a sense of worth that is dictated by wealth and by influence, by circumstance and opportunity, as if human worth rises and falls with what another person's willing to pay for how we spend our waking hours. Father, these issues are complex and for some they are profoundly burdensome right now. Uh, Speak to us today, Father, so that we might know and embody your word of hope, your word of healing to a bruised world right now. And in Jesus' name we ask it, please. Amen. Uh, Now, I think we hold one distinct advantage, actually, as we come to Luke chapter 16, over Jesus' original um, hearers there in that particular context. Let's begin with this. So, the very tail end of our passage, have you still got Luke chapter 16 open in front of you? Uh, The very tail end of our passage relates, uh, remember, it's the story of the condemned man, the man who who ends up in hell and his desperate plea. Um, John only just read it to us. So, the formerly rich man uh, has landed in hell uh, in this this picture that Jesus has painted for us of the afterlife and I don't want us to press the details too much, it's just a a picture that Jesus has painted there but his plea, this formerly rich man's plea is basically this, I reckon I know what it would take to get my stubborn self-absorbed brothers to listen, to pay attention, to change course and to approach their lives differently so that they don't end up here with me. That's basically his plea, isn't it? So, let's pick it up from verse 27, little number 27 in the text of Luke chapter 16, he answered, as in this formerly rich man, he answered, then I beg you, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers, let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Um, In other words, they have their Bibles, let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And I think you and I, um, we hear there a a reasonable request, don't we? When we think about the, the reluctance of people around us to pay heed to God in their lives, or indeed in ourselves, in our own lives, to pay heed to God. Uh, it, now, we hear a reasonable request. Is it desperate? Yep, it's desperate, all right. Is it unrealistic? I mean, a person rising from the dead to go and warn these brothers, 
Uh, yeah, maybe so, but it's sincere and it sounds plausible, doesn't it? Because surely they would listen. Anyone would have to listen, wouldn't they? Wouldn't they? Uh, to hear the perspective of life beyond the grave. Verse 31, Abraham said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Now, friends, here's our advantage. Do you see it already? Luke's gospel, right? They don't realise it in the story at this point, but Luke has us as readers hurtling towards what? Hurtling towards the death and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, These words didn't fall from Jesus' lips by accident here at the end of Luke chapter 16. The question is, will we be convinced? Will we listen? Will we pay attention and pay heed to the words of someone who has risen from the dead? Do you see? We have the advantage. So, today, Jesus gives us two parables through Luke chapter 16 about how we lead our lives. Two parables, I'm going to break them into four points overall, if you're someone who appreciates having uh, some structure. Uh, Two parables with a perspective, not just of someone who, they're going through life alongside us, they're trying to figure life out, not the perspective just from a mere mortal who is just, maybe they're onto something, not from someone who's probably just trying to sell you something, no, will we be convinced about how to lead a different life from the voice of one who rose from the dead? Our four points make up a very different looking life to the lives of the people around Jesus in his day there. And the the four characteristics, the four aspects of life are that a life lived in in the light of what he's teaching is, it'll be a life that's future facing. It'll be a different life because it masters money. It can still be, thirdly, compassionately present and it maintains, lastly, a lifetime of listening to the Lord. Future-facing, master's money, compassionately present, a lifetime of listening. Let's dive straight in from, the, uh, from verse 1. Uh, if you were able to see beyond the grave, into what lay beyond, and then look back at your life now, speak to your present self, well, I think we'd lead different lives in that we'd actually face the future altogether differently uh, as our rather complicated friend here in this parable does. So, Luke chapter 16 and verse 1, Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So, he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. Just pause there for a moment with me if you could. Now, I I have no idea, can I just say, why, I mean, this master's come in and sacked him, hasn't he? Why on earth would you leave someone who you've just said is wasteful and and dishonest and all the rest. Why would you leave them with the keys to the office for the day? I have no idea, but he has a day, it seems, to sort things out. Uh, And he's future-facing about it. Now, for us, uh, in our day, in our context, what's our crisis? Well, two months ago, if I had forecast to you this week's events, what we've seen this week, 
in Little Tasmania. I think you'd have told me I was unhinged, wouldn't you? Did any of us see it coming? No, see, at, at least part of this parable's point is this, Jesus warns us, will you open up your eyes and see what's coming? Not just in your little state, in your little corner of the world, with a pan- no, future facing in terms of your eternal destiny. Now, does what's coming, does it seem implausible to you? Perhaps. Does it seem unlikely? Maybe it does. Can you not imagine it? Okay, but Jesus is telling us, nonetheless, from beyond the grave, will you lead a life that faces the future? So, let's continue. Verse 4, where this this man, the manager, he's still thinking things over. I know what I'll do, verse 4. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. And so, from here, second point, uh, he's not just future-facing, we see a man who masters money. Because he's faced the future, his money will not master him. He can see that it can't be that way around. It must be the other way around from now on, verse 5. So, he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. Which is perhaps the yield of about um, 150 olive trees. So we're talking tens of thousands of dollars, very likely. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Right? Knock it in half. Then he asked the second, And how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. Which is probably worth about a, a, a well, at least a year's wages for a labourer and maybe many years. So, we're talking tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of debt. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master, verse 8, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Brothers and sisters, I think this is one of the, it's one of the most unusual parables in all of Jesus' teaching. Um, I think there are two main possible ways, I'm not completely resolved myself on which one's the the right way to understand it, to make sense of Jesus' words here. We did talk about this a couple of years back and perhaps you'll remember that, um, some of you. Either, so it could be that what's going on here, either we're talking about a master, okay, who has just made an incredible loss at the hands of this manager on these deals and yet he nevertheless admires the pluck of this man uh, and the, yes, immoral but nevertheless resourcefulness of this manager. And as a person of the world then, yes, he may have been, what's a polite way to say it, worked over um, but that's how you've got to play the game, the master understands that, to stay alive, to get ahead, to have a future, to remain someone, to be a person with a future in the world. If only the people of the light put that kind of grit into our game, our future, where uh, 
where we're going to land when things come crushing, crashing down if only we mastered money instead of letting it master us. You know, there's the teaching point. Uh, instead of letting it blind us to our future, lull us into thinking that here and now is all that matters and my comforts and my, my riches now are all that matter. There's a second option, second possibility. It could be that we're dealing with a manager who saves his own skin, yes, with an eye to the future, but particularly with an emphasis on mastering your money to make future friends. And I think this is more plausible. I think it's where Jesus goes. So, verse 4, let's quickly take a look together, dig into this together here. Um, Now, if I had just watched you, uh, if I owed money to you and I just watched you scrub off half of my debt and you showed your true colours as someone who'd bite the hand that fed you for many, many years as your parting kind of move, then yes, you would be my friend today. I'd be indebted to you today. But there is no way that I would have you, the kind of person that you are, over to my house for, for lunch tomorrow. Do you see what I mean? The, the, uh, verse, chapter, three, chapter 16, verse 3, the manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master's taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their homes, into their houses. And so, the second way of looking at the parable, which I suspect is right, is to say, what if those debts were his to forgive? Not the whole debt, I mean, but just the manager's cut, if I can put it that way. So, this was part of the culture back then. If I'm the middleman, if I'm the manager... Uh, and you come to me because you're desperate. Uh, Perhaps you uh, trade in olive oil or whatever, or in wheat, and you have buyers who want to buy from you, but your crop was just awful this season. Well, I, as someone whose crop went okay, actually, I stand to make quite a lot of money from you. Uh, I'll give you 400 measures, sure. But when you pay it back, (laughs) oh, you can pay back 800, thanks very much which pays my master, includes a cut for him, but it includes a whopping cut for me as well, as the middleman, do you see? So, the master was never going to see all 800 anyway. Uh, Sure, he'll give you 750 litres of wheat, but even on top of interest, I'm going to be taking a cut, do you see? So, when you pay it back, the debt isn't 750, it's 1,000, take it or leave it. Do you want to feed your family this year? So, you go away full of wheat and olive oil, you go away with an income for this year and with buyers who are going to turn to you in the future years and you you go away with a debt for the next decade. Most of which will go to my master but a generous slice is going straight to my pocket. But then this crazy thing happens. Next season, I call you back and I'm about to lose my job. Uh, So, what have I got to lose? Let's rewrite the debt. All you have to do is just pay back the principal, the original amount that you came and asked for. Never mind my cut, just pay back the the 400 or the 750 or whatever the principal was. My master gets his due, he's lost nothing. I go without, but then again, I I lost my job, so I was never going to see a dime of that stuff anyway. Uh, And you, well, you see a man who has thought about you who has put people ahead of wealth, who is going to be thanking me for years to come. 
and, and all you have to do, even in a moment, would you invite that man around for lunch the next day? I bet you would. <laughs> for lunch every day for a week. Do we, brothers and sisters, do we use our money, our wealth, our things, our houses, for future relationships or does our money define us for our personal significance? In fact, I think Jesus is helping us to see it's not even just that we must master money. We need to recognise that the, the money that we hold belongs to our master. We, like the manager, are stewards of someone else's, of our father's money. Verse 9, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, get this, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. And I don't think that means that you've managed to buy your way to heaven, by the way. Because who's doing the welcoming? I imagine that it's those who have become friends in the kingdom and who are there to welcome you into the kingdom in the future. Do you see? God's children have learned to master money to see his kingdom grow. And so you'll be welcomed into heaven. Now, do you see, whether you, whether you have a, a job this week, whether you have cash flow this week, whether you've got prospects or uh, maybe you've had to line up at Centrelink or uh, beat your head against the screen as it, it tells you that there are too many users online and you can't process uh, things at the moment. It, this stuff is saying that, uh, that, sorry, Jesus is saying here that those things, they're not what defines you. They aren't the things that make you matter before heaven. Can you see that? Verse 13, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Before Jesus, your worth does not depend on your bank account. Thirdly and more quickly, let's keep moving. We're nearly there actually. Uh, so future-facing, money-mastering, um, opens up the possibility to become, thirdly, compassionately present, which is precisely what's lacking in this third, uh, sorry, final parable, uh, second parable, compassionately present. Verse 19, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. What an image. Verse 22, the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. And friends, we can, we can see the reversal um, can't we? The, the rich who refused to show compassion and who shut Lazarus out of his presence is now shut out from God's presence and is begging for compassion. Have pity on me, send Lazarus. <laughs> He's still condescending to Lazarus, never mind that. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. Compassionately present. 
Friends, in our, present, in our present circumstance for us, how on earth do we come to be compassionately present for one another when we need to keep our distance and stay at home? How do we put in practice a compassionate presence that Lazarus longed for in our circumstance? Uh, a couple of you might have, or more than a couple of you, you might have come across this um, in, in the last week or so. Uh, Martin Luther, uh, he was a German monk in the 16th century. He faced a resurgence of the plague in Germany uh, in, in, and across Europe in the 16th century. Uh, now, I'm not advocating his medical advice, that's fairly dated, although it's better than I expected it to be, but I am advocating his spiritual advice. I think there's some wonder, wonderful things here. These are the words of someone who would rather be compassionately present than personally prosperous. Let's think this through for ourselves. So this is Martin Luther speaking in the context of the plague in Germany in the 16th century. He says, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus, perchance, inflict and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me and I have done what he has expected of me and so I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbour needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person but will go freely as stated above. See, this is such a God-fearing faith because it is neither brash nor foolhardy and does not tempt God. And friends, I want to say, in our context, with the wonders of modern technology, we don't even have to leave our homes. We don't have to defy our government's instruction to, to stay home. We can be compassionately present to one another, with one another, this week, without risk to them or to... Uh, or to others. And it might sound a trite application of this, but I just want to encourage you in what you're probably already doing and learning to adapt to, which is, have you reached out to one another yet? Um, it might be the most significant thing that you do all year to establish a weekly phone call, excuse me, a weekly phone call or two to someone who needs it. Uh, maybe to have a verse for them, maybe just to pray with them, you know, maybe just simpler, maybe just to listen to them. It might be the most spiritually significant thing that we do for one another all year. But finally, let's not miss, uh, miss this. Kent Hughes says it, it very well, actually. He says, a surface reading of this parable, all right, back in Luke 16, a surface reading of this parable might indicate that the rich man missed salvation because he wasn't generous enough with his money. This is not the case. The true reason for his damnation was his disregard for God's Word and his rejection of the Lord. He didn't believe the Scriptures and he certainly didn't think his disregard would land him in hell. To think that someone like him, living in such abundance, can miss heaven and yet without Christ, such is the case. So, a life that's future-facing, that masters money and maintains compassionate presence. Can I say this? It has beneath it all a lifetime listening to the Lord who's, uh, and to His good word, the Lord who loves you. A lifetime listening to the Lord who loves you. Verse 25, we're nearly there, verse 25, but Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things 
while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers, let him warn them so that they will not come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets, let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes back to them, they'll repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Brothers and sisters, this morning, are we scared at the moment that the deaths in our time are going to run into the millions? Are we scared in our time that the deaths never mind the millions, might reach into our families, our loved ones? Are we scared in our time that the measures are too few, are too late or are tragically too limited, maybe by technology or wealth, you know, perhaps we'll be fine here. But what about the two-thirds world? What hope have they got? Their hope and ours, brothers and sisters, according to this, is that we would hear the voice of the one who rose from the dead. Their hope and ours is that we'd heed the words of him who emerged to life from the grave. Don't our hearts, don't our communities need to hear right now a word that doesn't calm us into complacency, but comforts us into a compassionate presence that has faced the future and so faces each day with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Our compassionate Father God, who confronts the comfortable and who comforts the crushed. Lord God, we confess to you that too long our chief concern has been our own comfort and not the cause of life and hope that are in Christ. Would you have mercy on us? Would you forgive us? Would you turn us around, please, Father? In this moment right now, would you direct our hands and our generosity and our words Uh, and who we choose to connect with toward the glory of Jesus, that many more might be welcomed into glory. We want people to see Jesus, we want people to know him, we want them and, and us to hear his love. We want people to hear of Christ and his love for them and their worth before him, whether they have jobs or not, whether they have prospects or not, whether they have hope or not. Father, we pray for those who are already feeling at their lowest ebb for whatever reason. May the light of Christ reach them still. Uh, We pray it for ourselves, for some of us particularly, and also for those around us. May Christ be a bright, shining light in a season of the dark. Father, may we be excellent neighbours, may we be tender friends, may we be patient listeners and courageous proclaimers for him who rose from the dead, that we might live. And in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.